0: I want to welcome you to Young Adults Today podcast, where we talk about reaching young adults in our world today. I'm going to toss it over to our hosts, Micah and Josiah Keneally. What's up, guys? Hope you're feeling alive right now. I'm Micah Kennely, and I want to welcome you to Young Adults Today podcast, where we talk about reaching young adults in our world today. And like always, I'm joined by my husband and co-host Josiah. Josiah, how you doing?
1: I am fired up, went for a run this morning, and I've got that runner's high going. Also, we have a great guest that we're gonna dive Mm -hmm. right into some new content. By the way, if you're new or newer, thanks for subscribing and sharing this content. New episodes drop every Monday morning early. So we're excited about that. But babe, how are you?
0: I'm doing great. We're excited to be here. I'm excited to be here. We, I say me and the baby. (laughs) So we're excited to be here. I just look forward to um, just the wisdom and knowledge that our guests can download to you as a listener and hopefully download some amazing things to us as well. I know they've impacted us through our reading, our leadership, our learning and understanding of essentially the next generation is what we're going to lean into today. So it was just like who is that special guest. You want to welcome
1: them? I'd love to. I'll welcome him before I introduce him in just a second, but we have with us on the other line, Pastor Dr. James Emery White. How are you, sir?
2: I'm good. Thank you for having me.
1: We're fired up. We're excited. Thanks for saying yes. Um, we're a hundred episodes in to the Young Adults Today podcast. You've been a dream guest since 2019, since day mm-hmm. one. And for the listener, um, he said yes, I think last week on Twitter. Yep. So, you have not because you ask not, and sometimes you just gotta go for it. Mm-hmm. But just to introduce our guest this morning, this afternoon, maybe this evening, wherever you're listening, James Emery White is the founding and senior pastor of Mecklenburg Community Church in Charlotte, mm-hmm. North Carolina. He's the president of Serious Time Inc., which is a ministry that explores kind of the intersection of culture and faith. He hosts um, a website churchandculture.org, which features, of course, his messages, blogs. He's an adjunct professor of theology and Culture at Gordon-Conwell Theological Seminary, where he's also served as their their fourth president and probably best known to myself and Micah, as Mm -hmm. well as our listener, as the author of more than 20 books. They've been translated across the globe in uh, 10 languages, including one of our favorite reads, which is Meet Gen Z. And we're going to dive right in to a conversation about Generation Z. But before we do, Dr. White, would you just maybe start off about how did you get into this thing Called ministry and the Next Generation.
2: Yeah, um, well, a lot of my research in the social sciences and in the interplay of theology and culture is I'm chasing answers for myself as a church leader and as a professor and as an, someone who's trying to be a student of culture. And um, and so that's what led to, for example, my book The Rise of the Nuns. I mean, that was happening. There wasn't anything out there, uh, and so. You know, I, I was fascinated by digging into that because I needed to know as a leader what was going on with this. And the same thing with uh, Generation Z. Uh, there was obviously a shift happening generationally uh, with the younger age group that uh, you could not call them millennials. In fact, one of the big mistakes was early on, they were just being called younger millennials, which you, you can't lump a 14 a year old with a 35 year old. Um, and so people were trying to do that. So there really was something different here. And so I began that research and, and for my own sake, because my own heart for reaching the next generation just as a pastor. Mm-hmm. So, um, so yeah, that, that led to that book. So it was curiosity and it was pragmatism, um, in terms of trying to understand this because, um, I hope that everyone listening to this, who is a Christ follower and is in ministry, is deeply concerned with mission. Mm -hmm. And if we don't learn about uh, different generations and reaching younger generations, well, then you're just going to be a one generation ministry. You're just going to get every 10 years, 10 years older in terms of your norm. You're not going to reach younger generations. And as a result, you're going to lose the day. And uh, I have no interest in that.
0: Wow, that's such a challenge. And even thought to get things started is do we truly have a passion and a compassion Seriously. for the next generation? And do we carry that burden if we're claiming to be Christ's followers? Do we understand that we need to pass the torch, pass the mantle, and just Amen. be to be willing to understand and to recognize that not every generation is the same. And obviously that's evident in in how we do church these days and how we, you know, reach the next generation, whether that be social media or conversation or just the approach of street ministry, more or less. I think back when you used to do hand out tracks, <laughs> come to Jesus, you know, so just how things have changed and being sensitive to that. And I'd also ask you this, um, uh, just as a lead pastor of a local church, can you just share with us your heart behind the message of Meet Gen Z specifically?
2: Well, I, I probably just alluded to it. I, I think that the message of it is that this is a generation as as every generation, but I'll speak specifically, this is a generation that matters. Yeah, right. uh, They matter to God and therefore they better matter to us. And what makes it particularly poignant and pressing is that Generation Z is the first generation, certainly in the United States, to be a post-Christian generation, mm-hmm. to have been raised in a post-Christian world. Um, they're not simply divorced from the gospel the vast majority don't even have a memory of the gospel. And so they're lost. I mean, there's a lot of marks you can bring up about Gen Z that people talk about. And, you know, they're Wi-Fi enabled, they're sexually fluid, they multi, very multiracial. They're very, um, uh, there's 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 so much you can say about them. They're marked by recession and, and all kinds of calamities. But to me, the headline is they're uh, deeply lost. Yeah, I mean, and when I say post-Christian, I mean there's only been three eras in relation to the Christian faith: pre-Christian, Christian, and post-Christian. This is the first generation that has been decisively shaped by a, a post-Christian culture, and so uh, that changes everything. It makes uh, should make us more missionally and evangelistically aggressive, mm-hmm. uh, knowing that we 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 have to be. This is not simply passing a torch it's not simply enfolding young church kids into an older church demographic this is reaching a generation for Christ right uh, that has never heard the gospel before
0: right and dr. James I think we experience that just even teaching and preaching of how do when we come to the stage and we deliver the word and how do we unpack the gospel when they have zero experience with the Word of God like even somebody year Great a half, question they come in or a year and a half, I mean, an hour and a half into worship and a message and response time. At the end, a kid raises his hand. He goes, what's a Moses? Like, you didn't even know that Moses is a person or a biblical character, let alone, how do we unpack even the beginning of that? I mean, it's like, holy, this is, this is,
2: this is where, um, one of the most foundational missional shifts needs to take place. I'm so glad you raised it because you, you hit it spot on. Um, we we have to move from an Acts 2 mindset to an Acts 17 mindset. And the Acts 2 mindset is a mindset that you're preaching essentially to the already convinced and the already knowledgeable. In other words, Peter before the God-fearing Jews in Jerusalem. And if you analyze how he addressed them, he was able to assume a whole bunch of stuff. And in essence, what he said was, okay, you guys already, you know, believe in the scriptures, you already know about Abraham, you already know about Moses, the Exodus and the prophets and the coming of the Messiah. Okay, we don't have to spend any time on all that. Jesus was him. You rejected him, crucified him. He rose again. Uh, you're in deep weeds. It's time to repent. And thousands did. I mean, it wasn't even the length of a good blog. So then you look at Paul on Mars Hill in Acts 17, totally different audience. And Paul took a totally different approach because he was a good missiologist. And so he realized that he needed to go way back. And explained things. Mm-hmm. And so if you notice something about Paul's address, he doesn't even begin with Jesus. He begins, he goes all the way back to creation. And he works his way forward, step by methodical explanatory step until he gets to Jesus. Okay, that's our world. So it's an Acts 17 world and it's an Acts 17 approach. And for me, the currency that we're talking about uh, for both uh, teaching and uh, evangelism and apologetics mm-hmm. is explanation it, it's it's not just enough to you know read from the new international version of the Bible or Eugene Peterson's paraphrase of the message is standing up and saying this is a Bible mm-hmm. let, me, let me explain what this is uh, and you know and uh you know it's it's got it's a whole bunch of books it's actually a library of books but it's a story of us and God and you start explaining things and one of the things that I do um, here at MEC is that we take absolutely nothing for granted. I assume every time I, I speak, I'm speaking to people who are biblically and spiritually illiterate. Mm-hmm. And so the kinds of spiritual buzz talk, the kinds of things we assume that people know, even people who would say, oh, like everything I just said, they'd say, oh, I get it. I get it. I get it. But if you were to listen to 10 minutes of, their, of them talking, they don't get it. Right. Yeah because of the language they use, the things that they don't explain. It's, it's called, Sanford did a study on this. It was called the curse of knowledge. Ooh. And the curse of knowledge is, is that when you know something, it's hard to imagine someone else not knowing it. So it's <laughs> kind of like the way they did the experiment was they tapped out the beats to a song. And then the person listening to the beats had to guess the song. Well, they only got it like right once out of every 80 or something. But the person who was tapping it out had the song playing in their head. So they just could not imagine that they weren't getting it. Um, That's the curse of knowledge. And so, you know, one of the things that I often will try to challenge people is, um, have you forgotten what it's like to not be a Christ follower, to not be a Christian? The world needs you to remember what that feels like Mm -hmm. and to speak and act and engage accordingly.
1: Amen, that's spot on. And by the way, we're talking to Dr. James Emery White about Generation Z. And um, I'm just thinking about the different generations that have gone before us for a second. And how my mind works is sometimes just looking at like the NFL, for example. And go with me here. Quarterbacks currently today, 2021 at the time of recording. We have Tom Brady, just won the Super Bowl. He's actually born in 1977. He would be Gen X. Um, somebody like Russell Wilson, amazing quarterback, great athlete, Seattle Seahawks. He's Gen Y, born in 1988. He's a millennial. And so often we think, well, there's just one age group, even in the NFL currently in quarterbacks, there's three. And Trey Lance just drafted in the first round, right out of NDSU, North Dakota, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, born in the year 2000. He would be Gen Z. We just had Josiah Deguara as our last, guest on this podcast tight end for the green bay packers 24 years old gen z and so i think sometimes we look at the generation as like oh the next generation they're the now generation this is today they're leading they're leading in churches nonprofits the nfl and i think of then our daughter was just born uh, this past year in the middle of the pandemic, we got a baby on the way, part of the alpha mm-hmm. generation, kind of starting back at the beginning of the alphabet, but back to you, Dr. White. I just look at one of our favorite shows right now is called Smallville. It's a bit of a retro show, but, um, Superman, Clark Kent, actually kal from Krypton. And if somebody was to show up on earth, maybe they're leading a church, they're in leadership and they feel like they're in a foreign mm-hmm. land. This is a different generation from another planet. What would maybe strike you from your extensive research in meet Gen Z? What would strike you as maybe some must know findings for our listener today?
2: Yeah. uh, Besides the spiritual biblical illiteracy, which you need to assume, um, I I would uh, understand that they are not, you know, it's interesting. People would often refer to millennials as digital natives they've got nothing on generation Z generation Z was the first generation that was born with the internet in their pocket. Mm -hmm. That is their world. That's how they have community. That's how they have communication. And what I find a lot of people do is they resist the distinctives of a generation like generation Z and instead of embracing it and using it as a bridge to work through. So instead of lamenting that they have in their minds, maybe pseudo community online, or they have, um, you know, all this, they're, they're connecting to everything that's terrible on the Internet sure. um, and what you need to, or that they refuse to um, communicate with social media platforms. I would just say, oh, my goodness, uh, you've that's just selfishness. You, you if that's the world that is their world. So that's where they're going to be met. That's where they're going to be one. So get in that world. Um, and there's no excuse. If someone says, well, I'm too old for that, I'd, I'd say, well, friend, I, I mean, I'm 59. And I lead a church of almost entirely 20-somethings and early 30-somethings. Three-fourths of my staff are in their 20s. And, uh, you know, I, I wrote a book on Generation Z learn it. So it's not an age thing. It's an, it's a passion, desire, and intentionality. So mm-hmm. I would say embrace social media and please don't let that mean in your mind, Facebook, because generation Z is not on Facebook. They're on TikTok, Whisper, whisper uh, Snapchat. They're on, um, uh, you know, that's things great. like that. They're that's not great. on Facebook. They use Twitter a fair amount, but that's, you know, an Instagram a little, but mm-hmm. TikTok actually is the biggest thing right now for Gen Z. But um, so I would say that would be a, a, another distinctive um, to understand. And, and I would say another one is, is that when you, when you address cultural issues with them, you better do it with a sense of, you know, you've done your research, you know your stuff, but also it has to be just drenched with grace, give truth, but it's got to be drenched with acceptance and grace, not necessarily affirmation, of course, but acceptance, because this generation, Their number one, uh, what they would consider their number one virtue is tolerance. And the way they define tolerance is not simply acceptance, but affirmation. Um, And everyone should be free to pursue whatever they want to pursue sexually and anything else. So when you wade into those waters, uh, do it knowing that that's their stance. And by all means, don't water anything down when you address the issues. I, I don't but you, you better navigate with care to where, because they're going to care as much, if not more with how you say what you say. And so um, uh, I can't begin to tell you how many times I've had someone from, for example, like the LGBTQ community come up and maybe I did a talk on gay marriage or something with, you know, that mentioned homoerotic behavior or whatever. And uh, we just did a three week series on all things transgender. And, and the whole thing was someone would say, You know, I had a pretty good idea of what you were going to say, but it was very important for me to hear how you were going to say it. Then they just say, thank you. You know, thank you, because they felt uh, compassion, they felt understanding uh, and they felt um, that there was grace with the truth. So I would say those are some of the things that I would certainly throw out to anyone uh, that are absolutely critical to understand. There's a lot more, obviously, in the book, but those are things that come to mind.
0: Right, Those are great starting points for anybody. <laughs>
2: Highly recommend the book, by the yes, way,
0: too. Yes, 100%. Um, what about the people who don't want to resist anymore, but they really want to embrace? You had started with that one. And um, for the pastors, the leaders, the board members, or a passionate Christ follower who is struggling to minister effectively to this demographic, how can they take the next right step in their direction, meaning towards the young adults, towards Gen Z, towards them versus leaning out and back and completely disregarding? Uh,
2: Well, I I kind of mentioned this. What what I've done is for a church to intentionally skew younger. And the way you intentionally skew younger, it's several. It's it's who you hire. And I mentioned that three-fourths of our staff are in their 20s. Now that's not just doesn't give you just a young staff that affords reverse mentoring. So I am hearing from my staff who are Gen Z um, I'm hearing like, you know, their input, their, their, their leadership, their insights, their sensibilities shape and form this place in a very powerful way. Second thing, if you're interested in this, it's not just who you hire and who you surround yourself with, but um, you know, there's an old adage that I've, long said that I hold to. Who you platform is who you attract. For sure. So if you want more racial diversity, well, is your stage and lily white. Um, if you want young folk um, is, you know, you got a bunch of 40 somethings and 50 somethings on stage and, and octogenarians working all the doors. I mean, God bless all age groups, but people tend to look around and say, is there anybody like me here? Is there, you know, and and that's a sense of uh, part of the welcome. So I would hire folks. If you're interested in reaching a younger generation, hire some of them. Uh, be open to the reverse mentoring. Don't be threatened by it. And then also be very strategic about who you platform. Uh, you want to attract 20 somethings, uh, platform 20 somethings.
0: That's so good. We talked to many pastors, lead pastors, young adult pastors who have this it seems to be like this underlying fear or
1: apprehension, maybe.
0: Yeah, of handing over leadership, handing over the. the well, they're threatened. Yeah, or are definitely threatened. But how do we, as leaders, empower the next generation to lead and to lead with conviction, in addition to submitting to maybe the vision or authorities above us or above the listener who maybe are maybe trying to lead or maybe trying to be led? How would you speak into that? How do we empower that process?
2: I don't understand uh, older leaders, senior leaders being threatened by younger staff or younger leaders. Um, uh, I mean, yeah, you've got some that are cocky and egotistical and think they know everything at the age of 19 and they wanna come into an organization that's been well led and built and tell everybody how to do it and everything is wrong. I mean, but that's actually the exception. Uh, The average person I know, they're just visionary, hardworking. They've got a big dream. They want to make a difference in this world for the kingdom. And and what they feel is they go to a church and just shut out. And that's, that's a tragedy for me because what happens is they're, they're going to find an outlet somewhere else, a parachurch ministry, or maybe they go out and start a church. But what has happened is, is that they have cut themselves off um, and not necessarily all their fault, from the kind of mentoring that they need, the kind of fathering and mothering that they need in ministry and in life and in character. And the church is suffered because they have a, a, a vacuum when it comes to young people. So I I just, I would just say embrace young people, give them significant responsibility and leadership, pour into them as a mentor and as a, uh, you know, I see my role largely as a, as a father. Mm -hmm. And just pouring into them and, um, and love giving away significant leadership, um, across the board, preaching, teaching, leading, whatever it is, it doesn't, you know, vast, huge initiatives and endeavors and, um, and just, I just love seeing them, uh, run with that. And, um, and, and they're having a blast and I'm having a blast and the church is growing. And I mean, it's like, nobody loses in this. Wow.
1: This is off script, but we just became parents this past year. And, uh, you know, we're young in the same stroke, but I think we've been a form of spiritual mentorship or spiritual parenting to this next generation for a while mm-hmm. now. And one of the things that we're noticing is many of these individuals grow up in broken homes. They oh, yeah. maybe have never been prayed for. And what would you say um, to? Just what you can you follow that up or just go a little bit deeper? into? Yeah,
2: I think that the nature of the church leadership, as I understand it, uh, the way we're supposed to be functioning as a Christian community is as a family. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, there's there's Titus women, older women serving younger women. Uh, you have Paul writing to Timothy to treat older women as mothers and younger women as sisters. You have um, in uh, the qualifications of a pastor uh, is does he lead his own family? Well, yes. what is it? Why, why is that a qualification? Well, because the church is a family. Mm-hmm. And if you can't lead your family, well, how can you lead the church as a family? Because it's a family too. So it's a father role. It's a father set of skills. Mm-hmm. And I think that the more you approach it that way, it also cleans up other stuff. I mean, obviously it cleans up how you interact with people, of the opposite sex. It cleans up, it cleans up the nature of, um, bringing grace and truth uh, mm-hmm. to bear, just like you would on a child. It, 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 it means that you value unity and you, you, you know, working through conflict is not an option. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so it's, it, I think that just brings health to it all. And I also think that that opens things wide, wide open to younger, ever younger staff, because you are family. And so I'm, I'm having personally more fun right now than I've ever had I, I I love I love working with people in their twenties and thirties, and um, and uh, because it's it's almost the most natural season of my leadership life because even the role of a father um, uh, figure in people's lives or just to, to father people who haven't been fathered it's just it's a privilege and it's it, it it's it's yeah, well I'm probably going on too much about it but uh, I really I really do believe strongly mm-hmm. that. Uh, if more leaders that are older took their role seriously as being a father and a mother, and I don't mean in some heavy way, I mean, just, just kind of that spirit um, that would revolutionize so many things would be such a gift to, to younger folk.
1: You know, Jody burnt was just on, and she was talking about praying the scriptures over your children as a parenting book and just as an Mm -hmm. exercise. And um, I was really just influenced in my thinking about the opportunity that parents have to develop and to also create space where your children can fail. Touch on that with, with leadership as you empower, that doesn't mean everything goes perfectly. There's no, no, you just
2: have to make sure that you help them see every, Failure or mistake as a learning opportunity um, and and to sit down and be willing to learn, help them learn it, uh,
1: mm-hmm.
2: to give people the freedom to make a mistake and that not be final or fatal. Um, and, uh, and but you as a leader are giving them appropriate amounts based on character, maturity, experience so that you're not just setting them up for failure either right? Um, right. and helping them and really mentoring them. But really delegate. I, I, I just think it's so important. The best way to learn is something is, is for someone to 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 give you a responsibility. And with that responsibility, the authority. Yep. And run with it. And if we gotta clean up afterward, we'll clean up afterward. But there's no other way to learn. And uh, but the way I do it is I I try to keep it a constant um interaction. So like if someone's given a project or they've, they're leading a project. Um, they've got the responsibility. They've got the authority. There's a thousand times I might say to them, well, I wouldn't do it that way, but I understand why you want to do it that way. You're in charge. Mm -hmm. You're in charge. Um, but I'm constantly, we're constantly talking. I'm constantly giving counsel and advice and I'm constantly letting them reject it or not, unless it's over something with vision, mission values, or orthodoxy. Mm -hmm. So, um, And and I think that dynamic where you're constantly pouring into them, they're never alone, but they still know that ultimately they're making the decisions. That is such a healthy um, leadership mentoring dynamic uh, for people. And it's invigorating for everybody involved, too.
0: I, I agree. It is invigorating. And it's a tension that we just need to learn how to manage you know, and just, we're there, we're leading people, we're encouraging people, we're, you know, we're there when they fail, we're there when they succeed, and we're just there to offer the prayer, like you said, the counseling, the direction, and so many times we don't see that, I mean, uh, we've been under leadership um, most of our ministry life, obviously, we're still under leadership, but we're also leading to that next level of intimacy with God, and pointing people, obviously, always towards Christ, and we know this podcast is called Young Adults uh, Today, where we want to reach young adults in our world today and meet them where they're at. And maybe you've already alluded to this several times, but if you could just describe maybe in one or two sentences about why do you believe young adult ministry is so vital and important in this day and age?
2: I don't believe young adult ministry is important or vital. I don't even like the term young adult ministry. <laughs> Sorry. It's I just okay. think I just think there's ministry to people. Yeah. Young adults are among them. And and you have to realize that there's distinctives in reaching them, just like there's distinctives in reaching all different kinds of people's groups. What I what I would advocate is not not less less put on a young adult ministry hat in, in your church. Just put on a missionary's hat and say, okay, if I wanna reach this particular people group, then I need to go to school on them in terms of missiology 101, which is, all right, um, just imagine if you were dropped into the darkest recesses of some Amazonian rainforest and trying to reach an unreached people's group, what would you do? Well, you would learn their language. You would uh, find out what kind of indigenous music that they respond to. You would try to translate the scriptures into their language or however they communicated. You might even dress like they do. Uh, you would, you would seek all these, these relational bridges to walk across. Well, uh, if you want to reach emerging generations, you need to go to school on them. Um, and so that's what I would say. Uh, I would, I would say just be a a good missionary. Now I said it kind of flippantly, a young adult ministry. The reason I say that is because if you're in a church and you say like, here's our high school ministry, middle school ministry, here's our young adult ministry. I mean, tell me one young adult that likes that. Hey, I'm I'm an adult. Just treat me like anyone else, but just have a place for me to fit in. Have a, you know, show that you know that I exist and and incorporate me into the wider community. Because as we've been talking about, an average young adult um, who is in that age group does hunger for mentoring. A uh, young couple like you. Uh, would probably benefit from somebody who's been married 20 years older, that's got kids, they've already taken through those stages, as well as adolescence, as well as high school, that's who you're going to learn from. And you need those relationships. We don't just need to pull you out and put you into with a whole bunch of other 20 somethings. We need to integrate it in the life of a church that is actively multi-generational and multiracial. And so uh, that's what I would say to that.
1: And I, I agree with everything you just said and what I would follow it up by saying gently and graciously and with every bit of respect that's in my being is I would follow it up maybe a statement or a question and it would be along the lines of, is that happening? And I would say in a lot of places, it's not.
2: Oh, no, no. I would say it's, 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 it's not happening hardly anywhere. Right. And and so that doesn't mean it's, that doesn't mean it's not Jesus-y. Right. right.
1: Like, <laughs> and so I just, I think that everything you said, I think that every generation matters to Jesus. And you talk to leaders of whatever they're leading, if, if they're a, an effective children's minister or youth minister, they're going to say that their demographic, Jesus let the little children come to him. They're going to advocate that their demographic is the most important. And I think that's great. And what I'm never saying is that we should minimize um, or come down in our approach of Any generation. I think all generations matter to Jesus. What I would say though is this idea of Generation Z, the generations that follow, even millennials paired with that, is I think we do need to raise the bar of our approach, of our willingness as a leader to put on the hat of humility. Dr. White, like you said earlier, Mm -hmm. I'm gonna go to school on this generation, I'm gonna become a lifelong learner. Submerge myself. It might intimidate me Mm -hmm. at times because I things that don't I don't understand might like, intimidate me, but I'm not going to be fearful or, um, you know, threatened.
2: By you that. know, it's one word that you didn't use there, but I know it's in your heart. That I wish churches would get get is not just this understanding and and go to school, but the word acceptance.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: I, I think that so many places, you know, uh, certain people groups come to a church. And they, they really don't feel an acceptance. They really don't feel a welcoming and embrace and affirm, you know, and a, a real enveloping into things, uh, maybe a toleration, maybe superficial friendliness, but not a radical acceptance. Mm-hmm. And the reason I say that is because I'm not trying to tout Mech as the perfect example. It's not, but it's like, okay, if we're going to talk about this and if you're going to talk about, say, you want to be multiracial or you want to be racially diverse, or you want to be age diverse, then, you know, here, here, here are the questions. Do you have any blacks on staff? Mm-hmm. Do you have any 20 somethings on staff? Do, do you have any of any people, uh, any uh, uh, Asian Americans and critical leadership? Uh, or is it a, is it just an old white guys club? And, and so these are the, these are the tough questions because we can talk all day long, but, uh, but that's rhetoric. It's when it becomes reality. So do you have, like for example, um, at at Mac we have Asians on staff, we have Hispanics on staff, we have African Americans on staff, uh, we have a lot of young people on staff, um, and so you know that it, that kind of kind of uh, you know kind of puts flesh to this, mm-hmm. so that it so that it does become a reality. But acceptance is key,
1: and, and I'm hearing what you're saying is intentionality like many of us yes. reaching yeah. the next generation or ministering cross-culturally they don't happen just by mistake most times or by accident it provides mm-hmm. prayers Absolutely. we get right. to pray in the next generation we get to then invite them to our table welcome them and just
0: or meet them at right their sometimes yes. it's not always say come to us but it's like let's go let's too. let's go to them you know and yeah
2: well, what you just said what you just said, Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, we could drop the mic right there because it's so important because what, well, you know, um, uh, Simon Sinek just did a, a podcast with a buddy, of mine named Kerry Newhoff. And he said something on there that was brilliant. He said, he said, um, we, we need to quit worrying about whether, you know, the unchurched come to our churches because they're, they're not, we need to go where they are. Mm-hmm. Beautiful. And, and, and again, that takes us back full circle. Where are they? Where is Generation Z? Well, they're online with the rest of the world. That's how you're going to reach them. And yet you go, and and again, I'm not trying to just slam uh, churches. I am pastor of a church. I love the church, but I do want to admonish my fellow leaders. Amen. I mean, when you have churches and ministries that don't even have an app, they don't even have a, they're not even on social media. They're, they they do not even have Twitter or Instagram accounts—they're not even—they don't—they even, don't know what TikTok is. They've never even seen anything on TikTok. They—they—they they, they, um, uh, they begrudgingly have a website. When during COVID they went online out of necessity, and you know how many people I heard said, "I cannot wait to get back to in-person services so I can stop being online," and I just want to go. Oh, oh. I Stay mean,
0: online.
2: <laughs> I mean that's that's just that's just that to me is just maddening.
0: Yeah. I think COVID and just that last year of living and maybe some of the, our states are still in that um, COVID mindset for and sure. restrictions and everything sure. like that. But um, yeah, I think it was a total wake up and reality call um, for many churches to like shake us to our cores of recognizing where are we falling behind? Be, what have we been willing to settle for when it comes to reaching everybody, not just
2: mm-hmm.
0: you know one people group, but everybody and keeping them engaged During COVID, I mean, we have had several people tell us throughout the state of, well, the Midwest, more or less of people who are 55 plus a part of groups who are literally at home lonely, who've not even left their home in 16 months out of, you know, out of fear or out of their own ailments that they've, you know, Mm -hmm. triggered even more so some stuff um, healthfully in the, you know, in the past. But yeah, to be churches that are, are willing to pivot and willing to lean in and willing to reach um, when it's not convenient for us all the time, you know, we went from being on church at a staff of, we plan an event, people come to us. And when we stepped into as Campus missionaries, yeah. Yeah. you're going to, we're at 15,000 students. Like we're going to them, we're going to them. So it's like, that's us meeting them it's, at their table. It's and, a
1: totally different mindset.
0: And it brings yeah. out insecurities and it brings out the uncomfortable side, but it doesn't, you know, negate the fact that God has called us to do it. And we are responding to him and we are being obedient and just we're having fun in the process but it was a complete shift of approach that needed to happen i feel like the church have has also felt that missional approach versus um, to come to us, where I'm going to evangelize to you. So get ready, to hold on to your shorts. So I think I don't know. Maybe I'm rambling now, but it's
1: good. Man. But That's we've good. come to one of
0: our favorite parts. I don't want to take any more time. So just Pastor James, connect.
1: are you up for some rapid fire? We kind of call this the two-minute drill or the home run derby, where we it's almost I guess three-point contest where five questions, five minutes, and we just have some fun. Keeps us on our toes. I'll, uh, I'm game
0: i keep you young. Okay, Josiah's going to pull the first card. Question for the one. listener
1: who's listening and not seeing this, we don't even know. I just drew a random question, and this is for Dr. White. What is one thing that you are scared of?
2: Not finishing well.
0: Okay, um, question number two. Who do you most relate to in the Bible?
2: I want to say uh, that it's Joseph, but I couldn't tie his shoes. That's
0: good. Humble heart. Definitely, definitely.
1: definitely. This is the last one that's random, but if uh, this would be, what's something, it could be anything that you want to do that you've never done before yet. On a boat.
0: Ooh, on a boat. We got 10,000
1: <laughs> lakes in our state. So you're welcome anytime. And um,
0: here's the curveball. Yes. So if we're doing the home run derby, here's the curveball. Um, question number four If you could ask Josiah and myself one question, what would you ask us today?
2: Uh, do you have a long term vision for parenting in terms of a vision for what you want your child to turn out to be?
1: Go? I would say we do, and, and we're learning it as we go. But I look at man, the book Grit uh, by Angela Duckworth. Man, that it applies to ministry, it applies
2: to parenting. Is passion
1: multiplied by perseverance, and we well, want to include, dog-
2: include passion. I mean, include. I should have said vision for your family, like yeah. what, what it would like a picture on the wall of what you want your family to be like, look like, function, relate to each other.
0: Yes, I would say. Built on Jesus Christ and him being the firm foundation, actively living and pursuing him each and every single day, even when it's hard. I think that is what we've been praying for, that we would just submit to everything he has. And in order to do that, we've had, we have mentors in our life Mm -hmm. that are older, like you said earlier, 20, 30 years older, who are raising children, who are truly following Christ. We have been praying before we even got married for our children. Yeah. And granted, we can't make them we can't make mistakes for them. We can't have them. We can't force them to succeed. But things that we want to instill in them is obviously love and with Jesus Christ. My prayer has always been because I've just seen this generation, the generations to come, the ability to critical think, the ability to problem solve, and the ability to form an opinion. I think are some practical things that I've prayed. So. I don't know if that's too
1: much. <laughs> no, I think where I was going to just a second ago in line with this is our picture is that our daughter Aurora and his baby Kay on the way, that they would be raised in an environment that is a nexus pad for them. That our home is a place that they want to come back to when they don't need to, when they've moved out and moved on, but we've prepared them for the real world and the, the ability to nice yeah the yeah. ability to make decisions and to like Micah said, critical things for themselves, but um, to thrive as an adult, and that applies to faith and future and friends and family and finances. And um, yeah, I, I realized how hard parenting was when we became parents.
2: <laughs> oh, oh, friend, you're in the easiest stage there is. And that's from a yeah. father of four and 12 grandkids. Amazing. Oh,
0: that's awesome. Well, congrats on those grandkids for sure. They're probably
1: probably a riot. <laughs> well, and they back to you, this is question five of five, kind of like the word of wisdom. This is the opportunity to hand you the mic and let you mentor us uh, for a second and the listener as well. If you could tell a group of young leaders, one thing, maybe one piece of advice or word of wisdom, what would you leave them with today?
2: No one will own your spirituality, can own your spiritual life, but you. And anyone in Christian leadership is going to be afforded by followers a high degree of spirituality that is not based on anything that they really know about. They really don't know what you've watched online in the last six weeks. They have no idea whether you've had a devotional life or a quiet time or when you last prayed. They really have no idea whether you treat your spouse with dignity uh, and love. What? But they afford you this high degree of spirituality and treat you like you're the fourth member of the Trinity. And the danger is that you can begin to believe your own press reports and begin to feed off of other people's estimation of your spiritual life, as if that really is where you're at spiritually and how you almost view yourself. It's very toxic, it's very deadly, and it's why a lot of people in leadership end up in moral and other ditches. So I would say that, um, you know, if you are only spending time in the Word, to preach, if you're only spending time in prayer, that's public. If your worship is entirely public and not private, if you're not cultivating your inner world yourself and your relationship with Christ yourself, you, you will end up in a ditch. You'll be like a cut flower. You can look good for a little while, but it won't last. Mm. And so there has to come a time. uh, And it's good best if it comes early in, in your life where you make a personal vow that you're going to uh, stay connected to Christ personally and be a private worshiper and that it's it's real for you Mm -hmm. you'll always be Mm -hmm. sin stained and sin soaked and needing to drink deeply from the well of grace this isn't about you know reaching some super spiritual status it's just that you remain authentic and you remain plugged in and uh and you avoid the toxicity of Mm -hmm. public ministry wow
0: that's a phenomenal word of advice wisdom to to lean into to reflect on to go back and listen to take a personal inventory for sure as a listener and for us ourselves and oh yeah, that is beautifully said. And Dr. James, thank you so much for spending some time with us. We greatly appreciate it. And um, if you want to find out more about Dr. James Emery White and Meet Gen Z, you can connect with us on our website at youngadults.today as well as any other social media Across all platforms at youngadults.today. Until next time, this is Josiah and Micah Keneally signing off with Dr. White.
1: Thanks so much. Thank you.
0: Thanks for listening to today's conversation on the Young Adults Today podcast. If you enjoyed today's episode, go ahead and subscribe, rate, and review this
2: podcast.